This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Thank you for joining us. And we've got a We've got a great uh, interview coming up. I'm very excited by this one. Uh, but before we're getting into that, don't forget, you can send me a text at 2057. Uh, send me an email at inbox at realitycheck.radio. I have to say, I love doing the radio. I have never felt more liberated. I have never felt more free. Funnily enough, we used to be free and liberated like this, but you don't appreciate it until you've been locked up and you get your freedom. And man, don't you feel as though as New Zealanders, we've all been a bit locked up in what we can say, what we can think, um, what we can talk about. But here we are on Really Check Radio, able to speak our minds. My goodness, that's freedom. That's liberating. Uh, We have got coming up Chris Woodney. I have been contacted since I had this revelation about the hemp industry by a lot of people. Uh, with a long history of trying to get hemp up and running in New Zealand. And like I said, uh, I I had a negative view of hemp, but that's been radically changed by these discussions. And we're now joined with a man who has been through the mill uh, with government and government regulation on hemp. And he's going to explain it to us in some detail. Chris, good morning. Morning, Rodney. How are you? Well, I'm never better. I um I don't ski. I've never had skis on my feet before in my life. Um, but I ski the ski season opened in Caronet Peak on Friday. And I took my kids up at the weekend and they went skiing and it, it's very limited because there's a big inversion layer below the mountains, which is trapping the cold air, which meant I could sit at the bottom and see my kids' skis because they were just down the bottom and there's nothing more pleasurable than watching young kids ski around a field and have so much fun. It's like um, Disneyland, but sort of continuous, just the joy of people skiing. I had no idea how much fun people take out of it and the atmosphere. So I loved it. Yeah, it's um, very much the same with surfing. I just um, taught my, I've been on the road for 18 months and taught my daughter to surf over that time. And she, I can't get her out of the water now. So you know, just just uh, we had some options to be down by a ski field or to out by a coast, and I, I can tell you now she chose the coast in a heartbeat. So yeah, well, yeah, I guess surfing you're, you're warm and you can put a wetsuit on, but skiing <laughs> can get cold. But no, I think it is, and isn't it wonderful to see children enjoying uh, the natural world uh, and the physical world, surfing or skiing and playing sport, compared to what all our kids want to do and can get addicted to doing, and that's watching screens. Yeah, it's very, it's um, it's very, very enjoyable to watch watch the kids out in the water and you know just watch them taking in nature and stuff like that. I mean, it was you know I've got to admit that um, prior to being on the road, we were sort of falling into that trap as well mm. um, of of a lot of screen time. Um, in some respects, it's really good. Like she gets. Uh, you know, some some good stuff off, off screen. She loves to do arts and crafts so she can follow other people and stuff like that. But um, I just don't think you can beat that sunshine and fresh air and salt, you know. it's How it's, old is she? She's 12. Ah, same as my yeah. oldest one. No, it's um, everyone falls into the trap of too much screen time and 
because you have to be, you don't want to deny them the opportunities of computers and the internet, but it's very easy, and we do it all the time, is that it sort of becomes a babysitter while you're doing something else. And um, we notice as our kids, as as they do more screen time, they become less social and more cranky. And after a weekend skiing, they were just so joyful to have around and they didn't need screen time. It's a it's a tough, tough thing as a parent. It's like not something we have ever experienced before, is it? You know, we didn't have it as kids. Nah, and I find it's, it's quite ironic that it's the information age and yet we find so many people misinformed. Um, yes. You know, it, it's... Yes. You know, it's um, it's awesome to find reality check radio. Actually, um, I didn't know of it until somebody posted online about you know somebody coming on about hemp, and then I started to listen to a few more of your programs from other other um, hosts and things like that. And just such a great platform. I I um, decided to get in contact with yourself and and sort of share my story about hemp and. Mm. And those sorts of things. So what you guys are doing is really cool. And I believe that, you know, the more people that listen, the more people get informed. Um, maybe, you know, maybe, just maybe that people are going to sort of start to understand what's going on a little bit better. Well, I've learned more on this radio station <laughs> <laughs> than I have at any other time in my life. Um, and I knew nothing of hemp other than that Nandor Tanchos was in favour of it, so I assumed it was bad and for dope smokers with Rastafarian dreadlocks. And, But more particularly, I was aware of the things that we were being misled about by the media and by government officials, but I hadn't realised that it's almost everything, if you know what I mean. That what I knew of hemp was sort of what you sort of pick up in the ether or by osmosis, and it's like a narrative, just like you pick up a story about our COVID vaccines, lockdowns, or climate change, scary end of the world, don't drive your car. These sort of things that we come to believe are true because it's just in the news, and and you realise that your views are being assigned to you sort of by how the news is framed and told. Television programming. Yeah. And we're programmed in the same way you program a television. What I'm loving, I'm just loving Twitter, and I'm loving I, – I don't follow Joe Rogan. I know of him, and I've heard some of his, his um, great interviews. But I'm loving that uh, RFK Jr., is running for president that he went on with Joe Rogan. I think that's going to ch- and and Elon Musk came out and supported it. I think that's going to change the world. I just I actually funny you should say that. I actually listened to that podcast yesterday um, with RFK Junior on it, and you know what a man. I mean, ha- what an, a environmentalist, man. an environmentalist. I mean, everybody. You know, in eighteen years, nobody in their right mind has decided to debate the man because he is just so on point with everything he knows, the retention of knowledge that he has, 
the understanding of what's going on. Really good point that he pointed out on that was that there's only two countries in the world that allow pharmaceutical companies to advertise their products on television, and that's New Zealand and America. Isn't that crazy? And you know, he and- was he was quite interesting when he said that the pharmaceutical companies actually have encompassed the regulatory framework. Yes, they've used it. That, well, it's it's I liken politics to a sailing race. Um, if you've got a good tactician, you never get rid of them. You can change your skipper anytime you want. The person who steers the boat, they're our MPs, right? But the back line, that that tactician is the yeah. is the bureaucrats. It's the yeah. It's those people oh, in the back that, that never change. And and that's yeah. really where, you know, we looked at, you may have seen in the papers about the unchecked lobbying industry in New Zealand yes. and so on and so forth the last few months. And you really have to look at that back line, you know. I mean, wouldn't it be great if the political party actually took out all the back bureaucrats and brought in new bureaucrats with them so that yeah. those bureaucrats supported their, their policies? <laughs> I think well, that's... That could be a way forward. Because that's how the American system operates. I think when there's a change of president, 5,000 people lose their jobs. Mm. And in New Zealand, um, we're in the Westminster system, and the bureaucracy sails on, Mm. which does give some continuity, which in itself is a good thing. But they end up the powerful ones. I was a minister, and you became very conscious very quickly how much you depended on your ministry and in particular your chief executive who's directing your ministry to keep you alive, right? Yeah, your advisors, right? Yes, because you're getting, they keep, you kept constantly busy and then you're getting asked questions and what to do here and you have these officials who are, quote, experts but they've been around a long time, and so they're across everything. And so you end up that you can't annoy them too much because they could literally get rid of you, yep. right, just by feeding you a wrong answer or yeah, be very subtle. Mm. Um, and, of course, they can make your life easy or they can make your life hard. And you realise that you're in this collaborative um, relationship, even though – they are a big part of the problem that you're trying to deal with. Um, and you can also see that they have an agenda and they ratchet their agenda because they have their agenda and they say, well, that's something that a Labour Green government would go for. This is something <laughs> yeah. a Labour Maori party would go for. This is something that a National Act party would go for. And who's ever in power, their agenda um, continues to be implemented. Um, Richard Pebble said to me when I first came to Parliament, he said, uh, when you're outside Parliament, you regard uh, Yes Minister as a comedy. And he said, then when you become an MP, you see it as a documentary. And he said, when you become a minister, you realize it's a tragedy mm-hmm. because, you know, they literally do run it. And um, it's extraordinary. You're the, you're the elected official. You know, you're, you're the one that the public has elected to, to yeah. you know, bring in yeah. change and, and do the best yeah. by the, the collective public. But you 
uh, hamstrung in what you can do. Um, and, you know, it goes all the way right through to, you know, the ombudsman's office. Yep. You know, we've, with him, we've tried every avenue to, yeah. to, wake, to really wake people up. And I think and for of me... Course, the, the issue that you're having with hemp is a microcosm of issues that people are having with everything, if mm. you know what I mean. It it's um across the board and we're not having a, a genuine discussion and a genuine debate and a genuine change. And particularly these days, because the media is even more hollowed out than it ever was. But like I said, and you said coming into this with Twitter, with Joe Rogan, with Tucker Carlson, um, Elon Musk, these men, and you know, they're the three that spring to mind, they are making a difference. Certainly are. They're they're sharing not, you know, sharing honest factual um yeah. science, data, information. And, you know, I think for us in New Zealand, we do need a platform like that um mm. and you know reality check radio is one of those platforms well you're very kind let's get into it how did you first get interested in hemp were you a toker i look i mean i'm not going to deny that fact yes i've always been a well when you said surfing you sort of gave it away a bit didn't you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i've always i've always um used cannabis in a sense rather than uh you know, heavy use of alcohol, but I think there's there's a lot of stigma that goes with being a toker. Um, you know, people think that you know they're just the deadbeats of society, but that's that's totally untrue. I think um, many people in many powerful positions have used cannabis for many years. Um, mm. They just haven't been, or haven't had the gall or the balls to admit it. Sorry, um, but you know, there's top athletes are using it for recovery. Um, just to relax and unwind. Um, well, you, know, you have just been for a run, yep. you told me. You look disgustingly fit and healthy. <laughs> so, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. In the 18th of February last year at the protests, I decided to go for a swim in the Wellington Wharf and dropped dead of a heart attack. No. Yeah. Yeah. Just so happened that there was an off duty nurse and a fireman. And I was outside the climbing wall on the wharf, and they had an AED to shock me back into life. Um, they brought me back into rhythm Jesus. on the wharf, and I had to be paddled eight times to be brought back to life. I spent you were dead. Yep, three weeks in the. I saw my father prior to it happening. So, I mean, you know, I can understand my mum. I'd, <clears throat> I'd, I'd uh, text my mum or rung my mum and said, "I've just seen dad," and my dad's been dead at that time for about two years. So she thought I was on drugs. And so when they rung her and said he's had a heart attack, she said, oh, he could be on drugs and stuff like this. But, yeah, I, um, I had a lot of stress going on in my life. Um, you know, I don't claim to be a saint. I sort of abused drugs and alcohol through that stressful period. Um, and so, yeah, I've really, you know, I've just been discharged from the hospital and don't have to go back to the hospital for ECGs anymore and stuff like that. I'm off all my medications bar aspirin so so yeah really turned my life around wow that's extraordinary so just explain this to me you're a surfer 
you're at the protest, it's warm, a warm day, and you decide to go for a swim? So, yeah, so I um, actually, before it happened, I don't, I can't, I, I remember bits and bobs, and I remember, I remember the big uh, monument in Parliament being covered with a thing of Bob Marley and one love, and then I had this epiphany of that's not love for everyone else, that's self love. That that's the f- the first step of actually, you know, I had all these epiphanies. I saw my father, um, and then I just drove around, and I remember asking God for forgiveness. Um, it was quite quite you know quite holistic um and then i jumped off the wharf remember the bubbles coming up around my head and apparently i climbed out on off the ladder on the wharf and fell forward and knocked myself out so that's why i don't have too many brain uh, issues from the lack of oxygen because my brain had obviously gone into a protective state um and yeah just just so you got out of water on your own yep and do you think you had your heart attack when you're out of the water. Yeah, so I think according to the cameras on the wharf, I clutched my chest and fell forward and knocked my head on the seat. And had you been religious before this? Um, look, I grew up a Catholic and, and things like that, but no, I'd never really been religious in that sense. Um, you know, uh, I sort of understand that, I, you know, there is a spiritual side to life. Um, whether it's God, whether it's Muhammad, I, you know, I just, I, I don't know. Um, I do know that there is a, a spiritual side to life and there's something there that you have to tap into. Um, and that's yourself, your inner self. I think that's your, you know, we're all created in the likeness of God, they say. And and inside, you know, one of the things I took was the first, the path to salvation is to step inward, um, you know, start looking at you and start looking at the, the things you've done wrong, taking responsibility for them um, and making the subtle changes. I think I learned that, um, you know, it's like two parallel lines. If you you change one line by just a fraction of degree, that can become such a massive uh, gap as you go through time. So that's all I've I've been doing is, um, you know, getting up and getting up every morning before I do anything. I go and do some exercise and and look after myself, you know. Um, and, and how really, old are you? Forty-six. Wow, that's young, right? And you hadn't had the jab. No, I never, never had um, the vaccination. Mainly because I've done a lot of study and a lot of research, and and the not in the, the area of vaccinations, but I'd, I'd been doing a lot of study with different, you know, um, PubMed articles and stuff like that, and. Mm. For me, it was for me. It was a a vaccination. Was they put the virus into you, and then you know, small part of the virus into you, and then let your body build an immunity to it. Whereas this one was putting something into you that was instructing your body to make something, the spike protein, and then asking the body to defend against it. Which, to me, the logic just didn't make sense. Same. Same. I've never been. Never been anti-vax, so I was no, waiting for same. a subunit protein vax, which was what all of our other vaccines were based on. So I think it was the Novavax that was due to come out. Um, so I was waiting for that. Um, you know, I, you know, and then I started. Well, now I mean, looking at you know RFK Genius podcast with Rogan and stuff. Yes. <laughs> looking at the mercury and causing of autism and just all of this stuff. All yeah. of it. 
I was the same. I was the same. It just didn't pass the sniff test, like at that rudimentary level. Yeah. Uh, So my thing was, oh, so I get this, and then my buddy starts making spike protein. Uh, How much does it make? Where does it go? Um, And then how can you know it's safe after three? It was just when it didn't exist a year ago. It didn't. And then when they got more and more hysterical about taking it, and when when they got to the bullying stage, you're thinking, this just doesn't add up. And so I couldn't claim to be an expert or know the data. Or just didn't pass a basic sniff test. And I thought, well, I also had another thing, because I'm I'm old and listeners will be surprised by this. I, I'm overweight. And I thought, well, I'm the key category of this, but I'd rather die of COVID a <laughs> hundred times over, if you like, then die of something I took because that would be stupid. You know, I understand about getting old, getting the flu and it knocks you over, but to take something that makes you sick, that would really, really annoy me. So I decided that even if it was 100 to 1, I'd take my chances with the disease and my body defending myself rather than to take some government-mandated shit-made who knows where, for what purpose. So that's where I landed in the finish. I think the red flag um, for me was the the inability of the company that produced it being liable for, yeah. for you know, for yeah. when, when that sort of came out, I... You know, yep. that was a huge red flag. They, uh, they, but yeah, the prime minister's the prime minister saying it's safe and effective. Meanwhile, so you're in good health now. Well, good for you. And you've got a 12 year old daughter. Imagine it. You could have missed her. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. I mean, you realise that if you don't look after yourself, you can't look after them. And you know, that's that again when it comes back to Bob Marley being one love. Is that you know, if if everybody really took that inward step and looked after themselves and made themselves happy, then the world would be a happier place, right? Yes. Well, that's a wonderful story. And I am um, I hope people don't mind me getting sidetracked, but you are inspirational because it often takes a shock like that to wake us up, but it shouldn't. And um, hopefully you've given me a shock. Um, so thank you for that. And you think about your life a bit differently. Tell me how you got involved in hemp. Yeah, so hemp um, originally, um, I watched a, uh, I watched a documentary called The Hemp Revolution way back when Andrew Tantos was in Parliament, and mm-hmm. and then I started realizing, hey, this hemp thing. But you know, being a surfer with a big purple three fifty Chev Bedford van and stuff like that, um, you were a bit of a bit of a target. So I really, you know, I watched that and and I sort of knew deep down that there was another thing behind this plant. Um, and then in 2015, my sister was given two weeks to live um, with acute lymphoblastic leukaemia. Um, and another, my best mate, who's my daughter's godfather, was very sick as well um, with Crohn's disease. And the information age was about us, and I started researching cannabis and cannabinoids and CBD and all this other stuff started to come to light. Um, so I had sort of started to sort of apply to the Ministry of Health in 2014 for a licence. So being uh, a father, a, a business owner, 
Um, I had a liquor, I had a liquor license, uh, manager's licenses, firearms license, all of these things. I didn't want to do anything illegal um, publicly. I mean, you know, having a joint on the beach was nobody's going to worry about it. But if I started to put myself out there publicly about this, I wanted to have all my bases covered. So I, so with my sister getting um, cancer, I remember my mother asking me, could it help? And um, before I could tell her, you know, it could, um, but there was not a product on the market. So there was no medicinal cannabis on the product on the market. So somebody with such a compromised immune system couldn't go on the street and get some cannabis to help them. Um, just for the fact that they were so immunocompromised, so didn't know somebody sneezed on it, coughed on it, you know, various of other things. Uh, this doctor jumped in and started telling me all this, just this medical stuff that I just had, you know, just had no idea what he was talking about, and I felt really embarrassed that I couldn't, I couldn't actually get my point across or get my my view heard. Um, and then I went downstairs to my mate who was in the gastro uh, ward and he was coming off methadone. I'd forgotten to give him his methadone and he was in methadone withdrawal. Um, and I just, at that point, I had a breakdown in the Auckland Hospital car park and I said, you know, what are you going to do about this? Are you going to sit by and do nothing or are you going to try and do something to make a difference? And so that started my journey. Um I went, I was re renovating my hostel. So what I'd do was I'd go to all these PubMed articles and I'd highlight all the texts and I'd have my smartphone speak it to me into my earphones. And I might be ADHD here. That could be used through to my use, but I'd have it on one and a half times the speed. So I'd just listen to all of these. And then all of a sudden, all of these things started to fall into place. So all these articles, you start to hear the same sort of repetitive Things like the cytokine storm, um, you know, uh, the P450, um, where all of our drugs are processed, all of, all of these real complex sort of uh, things started to make sense to me. And then, you know, I found out about the internal cannabinoid system that we have, this endogenous, um, endogenous meaning sort of internal cannabinoid system that's responsible for maintaining homeostasis throughout 11 of our major functions in the body. Um, you know, cannabinoids are found in carrots, they're found in other other things as well, but most prevalently in, in cannabis. And um, so I started my journey. I, I have been working with the Hemp Foundation as the director of research since 2017. I get that, but I want to go back to your sister and your friend. Oh, okay. Um, so my sister um, was basically very sick and thanks to you know medical marvel marvels being stem cell transplants that's what saved her life um she's she survived yep she survived she had a stem cell transplant um i went to the hospital i wasn't a match my sister wasn't a match so they flew to germany and got some stem cells from germany um and that's what saved her life um after the stem cell transplant she had graft versus host and I knew the benefits of hemp seed. So I'd send, at that stage, we could only sell it as animal food. So yeah. I'd send her whole heaps of hemp seed and she, you know, she loved it. And that's where I developed my balm as well. Um, through the chemo, her shoulders were burning. Um, and I made this root balm from the roots of the plant and rubbed it onto one shoulder. And she just, she was amazed by it. However, with my sister, she was a nurse in the prison. 
and I didn't know if cannabinoids, cannabis, could go through the skin and into the blood. Oh, and get so, detected. Yes, get detected. So she was very reluctant um, to do that. Um, on the other hand, uh, my best mate was sent home, methadone, methotrexate, gabapentin, a raft of pharmaceutical drugs, sent home to die. He was 52 kilos, basically. They said he wouldn't, he wouldn't make it through um, two months. Um, so he'd been a meth addict? No. No. No, he had Crohn's. Methadone is for pain. So he had actually oh, sorry. So through his pain, through his, he was actually what they call a um, uh, so, so he became addicted to the opiates through his pain medication because yeah. of it. Because he was, I mean, his pain scale to us, you know, what what we would discover pain, we would be bent over and absolutely crippled by it. This guy will go out and chop firewood because he's just worked with pain so much in his life. So they took him off the opiate drugs and put him onto methadone because, um, you know, that was a, a better relief of pain. So basically he was uh, on methadone for pain and, and sent home with all of these other drugs to make him comfortable as he went through end stages of life. Um, so they gave him two months. Um, I, I got in contact with him. He said he needed some help. And I said, look, I know what I'm doing, but I make no promises. And that's how I named, that's what I named my product, No Promises, because of the um, laws where you're not allowed to make claims or anything like that. Um, so I started making products for him, solely for him, um, and figured out that we have something in us called stealth microbes. And these stealth microbes wait for a trauma um, and during that trauma, they hijack the immune signaling pathways and they start to send um, signals to the immune system imitating inflammation. So these are a microbe that feed off that inflammatory response by the immune mm -hmm. system. So basically turning the, the immune system onto autopilot um, and they scavenge these nutrients from you. So then people with autoimmune disease end up getting lethargic. They don't, you know, he, they were giving him 100% nutrition through a, what they call total patient nutrition, which is a line into his into his body, and they would feed him at night, and he was not putting on weight. So I said to him, look, we need to upregulate or downregulate what that immune system is doing, and that's what cannabinoids can do. So we started on a um, a program with him. I developed different things for him, balms, um, whole plant oils, capsules, and the turnaround was amazing. We ended up presenting. No yeah. So from 52 kilos, he'd put on 18 kilos. He'd come off all his allopathic medicines and was only taking what I was giving him. Um, allopathic, it, what does that mean? So pharmaceutical. Okay. Yeah. So he said, I said to him, do you want to come with me and make a presentation to the medical cannabis submissions in parliament? And he said he'd do it if he was, you know, um, off all drugs and we did and we presented to them that you know cannabis and cannabinoids in the diet is the fence ring around the top of the cliff and medicinal marijuana is the sort of the ambulance at the bottom so I've always maintained that cannabinoids should be dietary um, looking back and, over history. understanding this what you were giving him didn't have for want of a better word 
the hallucinogenic, the drug part, it doesn't have the THC? Uh, well, it has very little. That, that's not true. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's not true. So THC, so many people are scared of THC and they think it's gonna, okay. they're gonna make it's gonna make them silly. Um THC is required, especially when you're looking at combating pain. Yeah. Um, because it goes across the blood-brain barrier so fast. It's it's one of the one of the most amazing um molecules to go across the blood-brain barrier so so quickly. Um uh, so we were having we were using THC in a sense to stop him with pain. Because mm-hmm. um, he was in a lot of pain, he was obviously on methadone. So, as he'd reduce on the methadone, would increase, okay. you know, what we were doing. Um, and uh, so, I used everything for him because there was nothing to there, lose. I had nothing. Yeah, he had nothing to lose. I had nothing to lose either. Um, and he's my daughter's godfather, so she had told me. You know, I think she was bloody. What was she then? She was only about five, and she said, "You know, you've got to help him." So. So I did, and um, you know he's alive to this day, and he's still chopping firewood, and he's he's working, and um, and things like that. So firsthand experience for me was was it's dramatic, amazing. Um, well, however, you've given us so many dramatic personal stories this morning. <laughs> how was the reaction of the health committee? Look, I think um, there was a there's a big. It was a big mix-up in, in, in the House Select Committee. The Select Committee was, were amazed at what we'd done. Um, the doctors and nurses, the nutritionists were amazed. I mean, what, what had happened is it, this is a guy that was not putting on weight at all, um, and they couldn't figure it out why he wasn't, whereas I'd figured out it was a stealth microbe scavenging, scavenging his nutrition. So when the immune, when we started putting cannabinoids in the diet, the immune system downregulated the inflammatory response and upregulated a natural killing response. And, and essentially all that did was realize that, hey, this isn't inflammation. This is a microbe. Let's start killing the microbe. And once they started once once his immune system started killing the microbe, then he got better and put on weight. So, you know, a lot of people say cannabis kills cancer, it does all this amazing stuff. Well, I say that the human body was designed perfectly and it's designed perfectly to heal itself if you give it the right tools. Um, mm. But if you don't give it the right tools, if you, you know, if you don't look after it, then it's, of course, you're going to have, have problems. Um, and we know so very little about the body and its systems, don't we? You know, like the immune system isn't a mechanical thing that you push this lever and that happens. It's a very, very complex molecular interaction with living things, with chemicals, and we play with it, uh, with drugs at our peril, Um, I think. And then even you saying about these good microbes and bad microbes, we're only just discovering about the role that microbes play in our body, aren't we? Yeah, it's always been concentrated on cell health and and, and cellular on a cellular level. Now we're starting to get into a microbial level, yeah, um, gut microbes, yeah. all of these. Things, um, and and so Crohn's disease is for a simpleton like me is some gut imbalance in the microbes you're suggesting potentially making no medical claims, 
complain. And, and everything and, I talk and, about today is is personal opinion and personal yeah, theory, of um, course, put, in, put into practice. So, and, you know, I, and, I don't claim to know that I'm right or that, I'm wrong, but these no. are just what's worked for what the people I love and yeah. And, and then, uh, so that's how you're seeing it as a, a a microbe upset, and then that creates an autoimmune upset. It's turns the so yeah, so it's a microbial, it's a stealth microbe yes. that in your gut. It could be anywhere. Okay. There's, you know, stuff microbes could be anywhere. I won't go into how they were developed because then we'd be going back to the 50s and what happened in Canada and okay. all sorts of crazy stuff, but we're not going to go into that. But um, these microbes are everywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got them lying dormant in our body. So if we have a trauma then the microbe sees an opportunity to hijack the signaling pathway to the immune system and say, hey, we're inflammation. And so the body is so concentrated on stopping inflammation that it will devote everything to, you know, calming inflammation. Yes. And and so when we've got this inflammatory response from the immune system that is trying to calm inflammation, whereas these microbes, when are feeding off that inflammatory response and just multiplying. So the the feeding off the and they're just multiplying and multiplying. And, okay. So that's a and I, I I can and you said that the nutritionists and the doctors were amazed by your friend's turnaround. Yes. They understood what you'd done. No. Ah. Because no. what you'd done was illegal. Well, no, what I'd done is just what I'd done is I'd done so much research and I'd highlighted what I believed was causing his issues of But they didn't they didn't know that he'd been taking cannabinoids. Yes, they did know he'd been taking cannabinoids, yep. And did they attribute his turnaround to that? I'm not sure. I I, I couldn't answer for them, I couldn't speak for them. Okay. They didn't say, Wow, that's amazing. I know what he thinks. (laughs) Yeah. And and so you've got this I can imagine that you're a medical expert and you could be in practice or advising MPs and you say, well, that's an anecdote, right? That's a personal story. This is a guy who's done his, quote, own research, end quote, and we've done statistical analysis, peer-reviewed, in these pharmaceutical journals, and we reach this conclusion. And I would have to tell you that three years ago, I would have said, yeah, 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 absolutely, that guy got a lucky break. Um, what would what would this guy, wouldn't he know? Um, yeah, get high and you come right. And here over here is people in white coats with peer-reviewed science. And that's where I would lean, mm. right? Not now. People in white coats scare me. Yeah, they scare me now. They terrify me now. So next step in your journey, this is seven years ago, is it? Uh, yeah, so what are we, 2016, I think the medical cannabis submissions were. Um, so 2016, so the next step was to to – you know, there's a helpless feeling 
um, when you find out a loved one has a terminal illness or is going to pass away. And so my thing was is to um, – look, my life changed. Um, obviously, a lot of people saw what I did through the submissions because I did a, we did a video. We did a, a live submission to Parliament. So a lot of people saw what I did. And then, you know, I had people ringing me for – just bringing me to help them and, and help save them. And, and so I've got to attribute a lot of what my best friend, um, what saved him is his own attitude, his own stoic attitude, his own mm. ability to change, you know, to make the right changes. So, you know, my life turned around. Um, we, I was approached by the Hemp Foundation New Zealand to help direct the research there. Um, we started having stands at the GP conferences to educate doctors on the endogenous cannabinoid system, how it worked. Um, and I've been doing that from 2017 every year right up until we just didn't make the last one in a couple of weeks ago. Um, what just was, what the, is the reception like? What is the reception Amazing, like? amazing, amazing, really. From And I was able to... The beautiful thing about being around all those doctors and health professionals was I was allowed to, I was allowed to submit some of my theories to them and get actual you know um, responses from them and and educated responses from them as well. Yeah. So so that was where I really had a had a, a great training of talking to all of these doctors, um, being around these medical professionals and trying to explain how this endocannabinoid system is like a Wi-Fi. If you imagine it to a Wi-Fi network, right? And every cell in our body has receptors for these cannabinoids. And if you've got a sore knee and you use a, a balm or an oil and rub it around that area, all it's doing is allowing the brain and that part of the body to connect so that this can do its job. This runs the machine. The brain runs the the amazing machine that we have and yeah so when you put cannabinoids into the system it just allows the system to have a better connectivity around the body to understand what's going on better and to work in its premium optimum so we're not talking about cannabis to get high we're essentially talking about cannabis to maintain our health and that was sort of where i i led to i became the government liaison for the hemp industry um, from 2016 up until 2020. Uh, I got a hemp licence, uh, got a research and breeding licence. Uh, I then used my skills to help other people that wanted to get into the industry get licensed, and we saw a, a massive growth in the industry um, from the time I got involved right up until the changes by MPI in 2018. So, uh, so at this stage, back in 2016, you could grow hemp legally with a license? Yep, and you could feed it to animals. And you could feed it to animals, and yep. you could sell it to people as animal food? Yes. And so that was the workaround? It was sort of yeah, like that was the workaround for sure. Worm paste that we used to take. The same as the... Um... You know, the milk, the unpasteurized milk that people yes. buy cows and you yeah, know, there's, no, there's always a workaround, you know. <laughs> I bought a lot of I, I bought a lot of animal food that's milk. Um, okay, I got that. Yep. So so um with that done, we we looked to one um, you know, I developed some products 
that were approved by the by by the Ministry of Health. Um, one was called Phytoflower, um, and so uh, these products, essentially, what it was was it was a byproduct of seed production, um, and it was high in high in cannabinoids, um, and I would use that base product to make a lot of other products. Um, so I'd make, uh, you know, depending on what people needed. So if it was a neurological problem, we'd use a, a hemp seed oil because it's high in omega-3. If it was a lymphatic problem with breast cancer or something like that, we'd use a long-chain fatty acid like coconut oil and we'd put these cannabinoids into them. So essentially we were finding out where the problem was in the body, uh, what part of, you know, what does the body process in that area? So if it's, you know, gut problems, we'd use an MCT oil, so it goes straight to the gut mitochondria. Um, so diff- different carrier oils for the cannabinoids to target specific areas in people and people and just help people, really. Um, and because they were approved by the medical whatever, you could Ministry. sell the Ministry of Health. You could then sell them as health supplements or as what? No, because humans weren't able to. Oh, okay. They were approved but not fit for human consumption. Because it was only animal Animals could only eat hemp prior to not 2018. Got it. Okay, so what you were producing was animal medications. Not medications, no, supplements. Animal so, supplements. So these, aren't, these aren't medications. Like, No, no, I get – sorry, I do apologise. Yeah. So you got supplements for animals, mm. and I would go on your site and buy animal supplements, and my aged mother may be taking them for her – Rheumatism. That's true. That's that's totally up to you what you do with them after the sold to you. And so there was a wink, wink, nod, nod, everything sailing along. But what you'd like to have seen, and you're working with the New Zealand hemp industry, to get this on a secure footing, to get it properly understood, and... Um, properly authorised and presumably regulated as to the products. That's right, yeah. We we, we always stood by a thing where if the, the Director General of Health, you know, concedes that hemp is not a narcotic and there is no way that if somebody discovers a hemp crop that there is any harm that can come to them by by finding or discovering that crop. The biggest harm that could come to them is that they chop it down and try and sell it on the street as drugs and get beaten up. That's that's, that's about the biggest harm. So there shouldn't be any problem with taking a little bit of that crop and putting it into an oil and putting that to market. It's no different to dandelions or kale. Exactly, 100%. So So it's quite a different cultivar. Is that the word that I'm looking forward to? A marijuana crop for the drug. Yeah, so the difference between marijuana and natural cannabis or hemp is that hemp's growing naturally. So a lot of people believe that, you know, the bud that people smoke is the cannabis flower. Well, that's actually not true. The cannabis flower is actually on the male plant and it has the pollen. And so, you know, just like humans, he opens up 20 days before the female's ready and pollinates the female plant. Yeah, and and, and um, she produces a seed. So it's about how the sun uses 
um, you know, how the plant uses the sun's energy. And so the plant can either use the sun's energy to, pr- to reproduce, which is with the seed af- naturally after it's been pollinated, or if there's no male pollen in the area, it'll use the sun's energy to get stickier and stickier and stickier to hopefully capture some male pollen from the air. So if you if you take that male pollen out, the plants over generations and generations are just going to get stickier and stickier. They'll produce higher cannabinoids um, to capture pollen. So they're, they're just designed to reproduce. And and I, I completely miss the point. The stickiness that the female plant is producing in the hope of catching some pollen to reproduce, that stickiness is what gets you high. It, yeah, the, the THC is the stickiness. The, okay. It's the, it's the resins that the plant produces, yeah. Okay, and, and a, so male, a male doesn't produce that stickiness? It has a little bit, but it doesn't okay. have nearly as much as the female. So it produces it to... Um, what was I was thinking about this on my run today, <laughs> how I was going to explain this, is um, once the female is pollinated, she doesn't need to produce uh, that to get that sticky. Got That's it. why smokers of cannabis don't like seeded plants because it has a very low cannabinoid content because yeah. the cannabinoids are then just present, pre- the cannabinoids then are just produced for regulation and protection. Okay. So THC months but known to us once was to protect it from UVB light. So that's okay. why New Zealand has such good cannabis marijuana because we have such a high UVB index. Okay. And to get a good cannabis plant, for generations you have to cultivate it without being pollinated. And you're cultivating the female plants in the absence of pollen. Yes. And how do you, without seeds, grow the next crop? The plant self seeds. It has. It has when the when the change of light comes, it realizes that it's not going to get pollinated by a male. Okay. So then it it will produce its own seed. Okay. And that next generation of seed realizes is it, it's in a non-pollinate, it's not in an area where it's going to get pollen easily, so yeah. that next generation will produce cannabinoids faster. Got it. And it's a direct clone of the mum. Yeah. It's got no dad, Yeah, so to speak. And you do that over and over, and you generate these high levels of THC, whereas when you're growing hemp, you're pollinating the plants. Early. Early. And that's why you're not getting the drug. Yeah, the, the 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 cultivars have been, you know, even hemp these days has been bred to have very low THC. Got it. You know, back in the day when we're talking pre-1937, there would have probably been about 4% THC in a, you know, that's probably why the American president sat on their deck and smoked their, their hemp pipes. There would have probably been a, quite a bit higher THC. So... But naturally, if you're growing hemp, um, the THC content is very low. And everything's been bred now to sort of sit within laws and stuff like that. But, I mean, prior, you know, if you look prior to 1937, uh, the British one, without cannabis, we would just never have discovered the world. Um, You know, the sails and the riggings on the ships were made from cannabis. They they carried six, you know, Columbus was – 
renowned for spreading cannabis out throughout the Americas. Um, and then they got to New Zealand and harakiki, or New Zealand flax, was known as South Pacific hemp mm. because of the fibre strength. So they didn't have to grow cannabis in New Zealand because mm. we had harakiki, which was such a strong fibre in itself. So they didn't need to, um, to, to, to grow it here at all. Um, and then the flax industry obviously took off and flaxseed oil is amazing for us and, you know, all these sort of other things. Well, that's a good analogy for me to see, right, because I can see flax as fibre and I remember a twine mill down the road from where I lived as a boy and they'd take flax and make twine. Yep. And we know about flaxseed oil and the amazing Amigas and how it is good for us and we should take a slurp now and again. And so that's our indigenous, if you like, hemp. Yeah. Got the it. South Pacific had hemp. The Northern Hemisphere had, had, um, had, so uh, we had flax and they had hemp. You were growing hemp. Um, you must have been very busy growing. Is it hard to grow? And to- no, I'd con- I, I, so I, I actually, you know, I'd contract other farmers to grow it for me. Okay. Um, and, and then you're busy extracting. Well, I wasn't extracting anything. I was utilizing the whole plant. So everything. So there was to me why extract anything and change nature. There's just no point. I'd just put some of the hemp plant into some oil, blend it all together, and then filter out a little bit of the the plant residue, but not much. I'd, I'd prefer to leave that plant. It's just like a. It's just like a vegetable, you know. It's just like having a smoothie with kale or, or something like that. I, I just don't understand of trying trying to change nature's perfect, you know, the perfect the perfect combination of all of these cannabinoids. What what if you try and we don't know what all the other cannabinoids do to the human body, but we do know that we have a system inside our body that's very receptive to okay. all of these cannabinoids. Okay. So I never so, tried to change it at all. I just tried to make it as whole as possible. Yeah, so you are getting farmers to grow the hemp. You're yep. taking it and providing it as an animal supplement yep. and at the same time advocating for better, presumably, awareness and regulation so you're not having to be covert. Yeah, in the grey area. Yeah, in the grey area. In the grey area. I just wanted to bring it out of the grey area, really. And Um, then what happened? Oh, um, we, you know, I think Matt said it great. We we had a workshop with MPI and the Ministry of Health, and there was a lot of participants in the industry came to this workshop. Um, And MPI, that's the Ministry for Primary Industries. It used to be the Ministry of Agriculture and Fisheries, right? That, MPI. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And, and so and the Ministry of Health, you know, are the ones that regulate the industry and issue the licenses. So we came to a workshop and and I'd say the industry had full backpacks. Uh, we emptied them on the table for the government and then we basically got given back an empty backpack. I mean, we were trying to, you know, the, the great, the, the game over situation for us was, they can sell poppy seeds in the supermarket and you can make poppy seed tea and die. You can't, and, the, and poppy seeds not classed as a drug, but hemp seed, whole hemp seed, you, there's no harm 
that you can that can come to you from having a whole hemp seed. Only healthy outcomes can come from this. We wanted to have whole hemp seeds available for public consumption. You can roast them. You can ch- cover them in chocolate. You can do all of these amazing and – it, and it's the perfect packaging for the inside of the seed, which is where all the nutritional benefit is. So that was essentially what we were looking at, is having getting whole seeds to market because that just opens up the whole game. I mean, you can grow poppies in your garden. There's no reason you shouldn't be able to grow hemp in your garden either. Um, but then what happened, we had this, these changes come through in 2018 and hemp was um, available for human consumption, so it was made as a food, but it was only hulled hemp seeds, so you have to do all this processing. Um, and they banned hemp from agriculture. So we Hang on. Were, I've lost I've lost that. What <laughs> yeah, we did too. We were lost as well. Don't worry. <laughs> so it was two government departments at loggerheads. Oh yeah. So hemp seed food was made legal in New Zealand and then hemp used for agricultural purposes was basically denied. Um, so the 12 years of industry we had prior to that was just basically thrown away. So you could no longer feed hemp protein to animals. You couldn't feed it, use it as a fodder. Oh, I see. Oh, my goodness. We had all yeah. of this arbitration of – we had all of this, you know, the, the explain from the officials was that they were worried about contamination of our food products in our export market, whereas we'd never had an issue 12 years prior to that. Never had there been an issue 12 years prior to – to this, these changes, um, one molecule of cannabinoids in any product were deemed as a drug. Um, you couldn't, and this is what really got me, Rodney. Was and this is, and this will sound crazy, but you couldn't. The words they used were, "You cannot grow hemp in the environment of food-producing animals or plants." Yet, on the other hand, they just made hemp a food. That's crazy. Only, only that's like a um, Monty Python skit, isn't it? You had spent all this time able to produce. Just correct me if I get it wrong, Chris, because it's bewildering. <laughs> we won't tell you the name of the woman that was, just, you know, I mean, those in the industry will laugh, but but yeah, carry on. So the health outfit, they decided that, yes, you can now sell this as food, whereas hitherto you couldn't. Yes. Hitherto, prior to 2018, you had to sell it as animal food or animal supplement. That's right. And humans would, what they did with it was up to them, but we knew that humans took it. Then in 2018, the Ministry of Health says, oh, it's okay as a health food for humans. And the agriculture department, MPI, said it's not okay for animals, more particularly, (laughs) and this is the killer bit, you can't grow it anywhere near where animals or food is being grown or produced because a molecule could waft away from this hemp and end up inside of a lamb and jeopardise our export market. 
Have I got we'll that? possibly make it healthy. Yeah. <laughs> so what you'd been doing for 12 years was deemed unlawful, not just selling it as an animal supplement now. That couldn't be done. But you couldn't even grow it near where agricultural production was occurring. Am I correct in that? That's what they came out and said, yeah. I think, look, I, I, I got out of the industry. I, I, I just... You'd be brokenhearted. Oh, I mean, I was on the point of bankruptcy. I mean, other things I'd done it, it had led to that as well. But, I mean, I'd, I'd sunk so much money and time. I mean, I was travelling overseas to to conferences to listen to, you know, top top people in this industry. I mean, I've been to China a few times. I'd, all of this stuff, it, it's just... I'd sunk so much money and time into it that I, I knew something was, wasn't right. And so I started to investigate different officials and I found out that one of them had worked for Pfizer for 13 years. Um, I actually had peer-reviewed research on Mycoplasma bovis private prior to this as well, saying you didn't have to kill all these animals. We could have done something different. But nobody was prepared to listen. Um, you know, I think like we're talking about when we started this conversation, the unchecked lobbying industry, the the regulators at the back of the the back of the politicians that's where our problem is that they've got you know who knows what interest so specifically got. the concern that you and I have is that the pharmaceutical business is predicated on us being sick and needing patented medicine 100%. But not just as a one-off. They like a painted medicine that we have to take continuously or even healthy people have to take. <laughs> yeah. Like a vaccine. They, don't make, they don't make money from healthy people. You, no. You've got to understand this. And this is, this and is, they don't make this is worldwide. They don't, they don't make money from natural Finally. supplements or food. That's why we've got this Therapeutics Goods Act coming through at the moment. That should just be repelled like anything because this is going to put mum and dad businesses out of, you know, it's going to it's going to put people out of business having to, it's it's going to over-regulate the industry. And, and we just, we can't afford to let these officials determine. I mean, I don't think anybody's had any harm come to them from using a natural health product. And that's a big statistic. However, now they want to put in these Therapeutic Goods Act, which is the TGA essentially in Australia, which is the Therapeutic Goods Administration. It's just the same acronym for a different branch of pharmaceutical Tom Effery. You know, I won't go there. But the the thing is, is they're not the the, the pharmaceutical industry stand to lose billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars once people realise that. We have this endocannabinoid system and the receptors from the system. The pharmaceutical companies have been trying to target these receptors with pharmaceutical drugs for years and years and years. Uh, so, and so they when you target a natural product, painted natural product that can target even receptors they don't know about yet. Well, I wouldn't have believed you three years ago. I can tell you that now, which is uh, a great sin of mine. It's all right. And, that's, that's, and you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have. And not just that, but for 10 years, our family enjoyed raw milk. And right. it was the most beautiful, healthy product. And I've got three healthy kids who were weaned on raw milk, and we'd go through gallons of it. 
and make butter with the cream. No, I tried that once. It was too much work. <laughs> but um, to be fair to me, um, but the loveliest couple that were producing this beautiful milk, and I'd visit their farm. It was the most gorgeous farm. Clean. They loved showing you around. Beautiful cows. When I had a glass of this milk, it was like going back to being five years old again and licking the cream off the top of the can. And they did everything to comply with the ever-evolving rules that, quote, MPI put up for our safety. And they were all compliant according to the best legal minds that they could employ. Still, they got prosecuted and destroyed by MPI, even after MPI had signed off what they were doing. And I couldn't imagine a more disgusting use of state power because you had someone producing milk that we've drunk for, I don't know, thousands of years and who had no complaints Willing buyers, happy sellers, a lovely community of raw milk drinkers, exuberant in looking after themselves and the delicious milk compared to the crap you buy in the supermarket. No complaints, no victims, no illness other than good health. And MPI destroyed this elderly couple. Now, what sort of people do that? And what you're saying is here they are doing this. But of course, dare I say it, there's big money involved in this, big business involved in this. And any chink is a crack in the Berlin Wall. Yeah, the cracks start to open and, and you know. They can't allow it. It's like having reality check radio, you know, goodness knows, um, without sounding too paranoid. Um, they don't even like free speech now, the government. Well, when I was put under progress, uh, so so I found these links between a government official and previous employment with Pfizer Pharmaceuticals and I notified the Solicitor General, the Director General, and all these pe people of this conflict of interest of not actually wanting to see any progress in this industry. A few days later, I had the police turn up and MPI officers turn up at my backpackers and issue me prohibition notices, and they prohibited all of my products. And the thing that I really knew that it wasn't actually, there was no substance to this, was they prohibited my balm. And I've sent you a, an email with some images of what my balm can do. Mm. They prohibited my balm, and my balm was never designed for animals at all. It was so they had to redact the prohibit prohibition on my balm. The other thing that I found really interesting, Rodney, was that the prohibition notice said that I could challenge this notice or any person affected by this. So prohibition. Just to just to catch listeners up, because you've lived it and it goes quick, and I've read it, and still when you said it. You um, were concerned that these regulations had been dumped and changed and totally contradictory between health and animal. 
totally contradictory to common sense, totally contradictory to um, what had been going on for some years. And these had been basically decided by officials and rubber stamped by politicians, I imagine. And you noticed that the person chiefly involved in making this had previously worked at Pfizer. And you're thinking, well, you know, there's a potential conflict of interest here because we're trying to sell natural products. And this person spent a great deal of time working for a pharmaceutical big business. So you wrote a letter off as a free citizen in a democracy to the ombudsman, ombudsman pointing this out. How many days later? Approximately nine days later. Nine days later, never happened before. How many policemen turn up? I think there's three policemen and two MPI officers. So MPI, who uh, work for this person, right, the same organisation, yeah. turn up. And they turned up to do what? And now you're running a backpackers. They turn yeah. up at your backpackers. And they turned up for what purpose, did they say? To, issue, to prohibit my products under the Agricultural Compounds and Medicines Act. And so why that, did it take three policemen to do that? Well, I was really lucky. I had a retired policeman behind me, and I had a judge whose wife was a vet that also used my products. So I had <laughs> I had some really pretty cool people in my corner. Wow. Apparently, because when I was younger, I got convicted of, a, of an assault charge. Um, and, I mean, we're talking when I was like 21, I think, I was <laughs> You know, so this was straight out intimidation, right? Yeah, but it's not just oh. happened to me though, Rodney. Too. I mean, we've got a, a young couple on the west coast of New Zealand that have been put through the same ringer as me. They've spent three hundred thousand dollars investing into the hemp industry and, and what they wanted to do with hemp going organic and moving away from dairy and and, and you know uh, that'd be great. You know, I mean, they're moving to Australia. Well, they've probably moved actually to Australia now. But the, 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 they don't do that just to me. They've done it to a lot of other people, you know. I'm not not sort of. No. It's but, just my stories are a little bit more interesting, whereas, But, of you know, course, I, int- intimidation only works if the victim is absolutely aware that they're being intimidated and other mm. people get to see it. So the policemen and the MPI guys turn up to your backpackers with a notice that prohibits you from what making selling or producing my products and that's effective immediately effective immediately or i faced two years imprisonment i think it was one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in fines however that where i was going with this rodney was the prohibition notice said any person affected by this prohibition can make a submission to the district court within 14 days now just so i'm sorry to do this to you chris that's right they handed you the notice, you said, oh, okay, and they left. I didn't say okay. No, there was a few other, there was a few other things said, um, you know, there was a few other things said, um, particularly with the police. Like I said, you know, you're pro- prohibiting a, a hemp product. I mean, I'm licensed. I, you know, um, but, you know, I, I, what else could you do? That, that As soon as they've served it, it's effective. Okay, so they'd done that, and then mm-hmm. so and there's a bit of argy bargy, as I can well imagine, and they left. Then what happened? Then 
we reached out to the industry and we looked like we had a lot of support. Um, we did note on the prohibition notice, like I was saying, that we could um, apply to the district court um, if we you know, didn't agree with this prohibition. Now, this is the interesting part. I hadn't been charged with anything, so I couldn't apply to the district court for anything. I had no CIV number. I had no way. So I we went to the district court. The district court couldn't do anything. I hadn't been charged with anything. Nobody had ever come to them with a prohibition notice from MPI wanting to challenge it. I well, couldn't was, do it. Did that render so just, it unlawful? So I just decided to carry on selling my products and see what happens. Nothing's happened. How crazy. It's just straight intimidation. Straight intimidation. And it hasn't just happened to me, it's happened to many others in the industry. It's absolutely bureaucratic bullshit. Um, and the police are involved. They included the police, yeah. Saying and you, you plus, live in that. The other reason too, though, Rodney, in their defence is that I'm a firearms holder. I, I have firearms yes. licences and things like that. Um, you know, just it's just ridiculous. You know, it's just, just ridiculous. Um, it left me, you know, my wife was just distraught because we spent so much money we thought we had it in the bag we thought yes we're going to do it we'll be able to export these products because health products you know we're totally focused on human health and well-being and helping people and being of service to others and and, and look where that got us you know um we just got kicked in the guts and literally everything fell apart for me from there and, and my own choices i made some bad choices with drugs and alcohol as well i'm not i'm not meaning to be a saint um you know, but everything fell apart from that point for me. Yeah, marriage. Very close, very close to. Um, like I say, I've just spent eighteen months on the road in a motorhome, living with different in different places with my family. My family is still together, um, just by, by by a thread. But you know, we. It just, yeah, I just it's everything fell apart from that point forward. Um, yeah, uh, just so much stress. I had to sell. We had to sell the backpackers. I also tried to sell New Zealand Hemp Brokers, which was my company. I tried to sell that. Tried to sell my backpackers to, you know, I spent so much time away from my backpackers that it was just to the detriment of the backpackers. You know, we're so far behind in our lease and so on and so forth, and spending so much money going overseas and to Wellington each month. None of this is paid work. This is all voluntary work as well. So. Everything was sort of, you know, we'd just done it just because we thought what we're doing was right. And and I had the knowledge and the, the brain to sort of push it further than anyone had sort of done it before. That was 2020, was it? 2020, yeah. Two, September 2019, we were put under prohibition. Okay, before COVID. Yeah. So you have had <laughs> a very, very tough three years, four years. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a challenge to say the least, but I think if it doesn't break you, it makes you stronger. True. And what is the situation now with the hemp industry? Because from what you've told me, you can't grow it. You can grow it. Um, to. You can, you can stick within their guidelines and you can stick within their laws and their absurd regulations and so on and so forth. So forth. I think they may have changed the 
not able to grow it in the environment of food producing animals and plants because I think that was just a an absolute stupid absurd overreach it's absurdity yeah. that they couldn't get away with um but that was the wording they used and that that there was to me was just a uh, signal just, it was a signal that something wasn't right the other thing was the redaction of my prohibition on my balm I knew it was a personal thing because I'd called a personal conflict of interest on someone um so so you you you're right out of it now yeah I, I can't afford to to I, I still have people that I look after uh, yeah um, but you 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 would have realized that by standing up and making a submission and pointing out a potential difficulty you'd painted a big target on your back huge by the way when i was an mp i recall a, a constituent coming to see me and that pointed out a conflict of interest with the supreme court judge and that was a big deal but in the fullness of time he won right so you're thinking these things are real right but he had and it was a similar thing big industry right i just for, just remembered that one apropos nothing so um oh my god so the situation in new zealand now is i can buy some medical cannabinoid products for human consumption so you can you you can buy hemp products that yes. are in line with the hemp regulations so that's containing no cannabinoids oh really yeah the the cannabinoids so this is a this is the interesting and what thing. you're saying is, so is my cannabinoids are what your body may well need yeah so let, let's look at this so when this happened to to me in the industry i said to them i want to see all red wine off the shelves in new zealand supermarkets by tomorrow if we cannot have natural occurring cannabinoids in our products because red wine has GHB in it, which is the date rape drug, right? So red wine has GHB, which is the date rape drug, in its product. So red wine, Vermont, all of these liquors that are made from red fruits, they have GHB in it. Now, now um, Keith Bedford, who was the lead ESR scientist, at that time said, no, there's not enough that you should worry about in it, so they should be fine. So the red wine industry went on. Keith Bedford also did a paper on CBD saying, no, there's no worry about it. You should be able to let them go. But that didn't happen. Because it's not a big industry yet. Well, they don't want it to be a big industry because it it is the industrial competitor to so many other industries. Look at the reason they banned hemp in the first place. America were producing... 130 million litres of oil from hemp before they started digging for oil in the ground. It is such a big industrial competitor to big business that it is not in the interest of any political party that has any sense of human, you know, sense of understanding about human health and well-being or animal health and well-being. I mean, the way that I could instantly improve New Zealand health would be to start feeding hemp seeds to chickens and allowing you to get CBD and 
little minute amounts of THC and protein and omega-3 in your eggs. How many people in New Zealand eat eggs? Not many at the moment, the cost of them. <laughs> but, I'm still but you know what in. I mean? That's, that's where it comes down to. Like hemp seed itself should be fed to animals in order to make healthier animals re- less reliant on pharmaceutical products. So it starts with the, the food. Yeah, at the moment, can I buy cannabinoid oil? Was it called CBD? Right? Is that what it's yep, called? You can. You can buy it from. You can get it on prescription from the pharmacy, right? Or you can go to a lot of people like myself who are what we're what what we're classed as green theories that produce this. And I'm, like I've never stopped producing my oil because it was a simple challenge to the government, take me to court and let me see, let's go back to the old legislation where I was able to make a product from industrial hemp and there was no licence required to have it. So we can, yeah, you can make, you can get CBD oil from green fairies and, and so on and so forth, or you can get when it When you say public. green fairy, what's that signify? Okay, so that's a person in your community that is making cannabinoid products for the benefit of the the local community. Okay. Uh, not for under, the benefit under the of radar. Wallet. Under the radar, not for the benefit of their own wallet, but for the benefit of human health, okay. really. And to so ease. It's like someone stuff. having a cow passing you some milk. Rose Renton. I don't know if you've heard of Rose Renton. No. She, she's probably, um, you know, she was discharged from court because there's just no public harm. Um, we're not there to hurt the public at all. We're just there to help those that might need it, um, so on and so forth. So, And if I wanted to do it, because I don't know a green fairy other than you, and that might be a bit obvious given that we're on the internet talking, um, I would have to go to my doctor and get a prescription and go to my pharmacist, and then where would I get? The pharmacist would have it in their shop. So yeah, you're getting you're getting it from no. The pharmacist has to get it in. It's a controlled drug, so the pharmacist would have to get it in. You'd probably pay 160 to 180 dollars for a bottle of it, or you could pay 55 dollars around for the same bottle. To a green green theory, yeah. And this is effectively flax oil. Effectively, it's hemp. hemp, Yeah, effectively, depends on what the person's using. Like I say, Rodney, you know, like uh, depends on what. You know, people use hemp seed oil and put the plant into hemp seed oil, or they use flaxseed oil and put the plant into that. They might use MCT oil and put it into that. Mm. They could use coconut oil, but it's all about having cannabinoids what I'm in the is diet. It's it's the equivalent product to selling flaxseed oil, which you don't need a prescription for. No, because because flaxseed oil doesn't have the cannabinoids that okay. Yeah, so it's all about these cannabinoids in one molecule determining it as a drug, whereas there's no area for natural occurring levels. You're not like yes. there is in and with but, DHB. But what I'm saying, there's lots of chemicals in flax oil too. Yeah, there's lots of chemicals in a it's lot of a stuff. Cab- it's the cannabinoid that, that makes Can- it the target. Yeah, cannabinoids. Cannabinoid. What do I say? Can, can a bit, you, get, you get a bit tongue-tied there sometimes. I do. I'm terrible. Yeah. Yeah, that's all right. It's a new area of learning for you. You so know what? I we're good in with my that. in my head, I see it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, we're running out of time, Chris. Sadly, because um, I'm bewildered. 
I love your story. I love your personal stories, as tragic as they are. Um, and it's one thing to suffer tragedy and to rise up, but to have that tragedy of government-induced trauma in a democracy is what really hurts because that's not what we think government is there for, to harass us and make life painful for us or difficult for us or to serve interests other than ours. So you're dealing with the fact that a system that should be for you, you're discovering isn't. And then we're still in a New Zealand that doesn't believe that government officials and government apparatuses will operate scrupulously fairly and with nothing but the public interest in mind. So you're also not necessarily supported and believed by the wider public because we still have a touching faith in our political institutions, I think less so after COVID. So not only have you had that, you know, the heart attack and 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 that tough time probably induced by this pressure, but you've had to deal with a government without putting too fine a point on it out to get you and your business. Yep, that's pretty much in a nutshell. And when you started this, you would never have imagined that. No, I would never have imagined that. There was absolutely no appetite for human health no. in over-regulating this industry. Hey, Chris, are we down a rabbit hole? No, I don't think we are. I think <laughs> No, I was being sarcastic. Yeah, I don't but... think we are. I think we're, we're, on a we're down a rabbit hole doing our own research. Ooh, that's bad. Someone once told me that rabbit holes were designed to keep you, keep you in a rabbit hole so you're not aware of what's going on outside the rabbit hole. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't get too far Have down. Have you got there. anything, Chris, you'd like to add to this interview that you I feel you would haven't covered? No. Or do you I think, think we've done a good go? We've we've given it a good go. I think there's it's brought awareness to people that you know, although there are regulations in place for this industry, um, it's highly overregulated. Not many interest farmers are interested in growing this crop. Of course where not. if the government that, that had a real eye on the twenty thirty plan of sustainable development, then this plant should be deregulated and put on every farm. And that's the that's the basic fact. If they actually had a real view. And sustainability, the, the the environment, better fuels, better better farming. They would they would do they, they would have this crop on every farm without a doubt. And the beautiful thing is, is that the medical cannabis companies could buy the biomass from these farms. But then you might see farmers out of debt. So hey, you know. Well, they don't, do they? And we're seeing communities destroyed by big multinationals buying them up to plant pine trees, which yeah. they have no intention of harvesting. But other than to say that they're carbon neutral, it's it's totally disgusting. Yeah. And this and, crop should be fed to animals to 
to have healthier animals. It should be it should be be the the key player in the game of sustainable development in New Zealand. But do you think we can get a politician to listen to us? Mm. Well, we'll keep talking, Chris. And I can't say how much I've appreciated you coming on because not only were you upfront about your business and your would-be industry and uh, your personal life and your personal <laughs> failings, which is quite wonderful, really, because it's we feel as though we know you. And I appreciate that. And so what we had with Chris Woodney from the one time from the New Zealand hemp industry until the government turned up with the police because he made a complaint about a civil servant, we've had real talk. It was real talk with Chris Wadney. Am I saying your name correctly now? I've got that's I've right, got yeah. Chris Wadney. Um, wonderful guy on a different track after a life changing heart attack where he was very lucky to survive and be with us today. Uh, it's reality check radio. How lucky we are to live in this great country, which has people like Chris in it, uh, striving to do better striving to make New Zealand a better place. And how disgusting is it that everywhere you turn, there's some agent of government who you pay for through your taxes, who sits on you at every opportunity and can destroy your hopes and your dreams. And you think you're voting for the government, but behind the politicians is the government which um, is always there. Thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I am. You're on Reality Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. If you've got a contribution, text us at 2057. I love getting the text or email us at inbox at Reality Check Radio. Thank you so much. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio.